You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Well, good morning, and as you are seated, turn to Genesis chapter 12. It's time for some more good news today. Genesis chapter 12 is our passage. We'll be looking at verses 1, 2, and 3. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, um, we have been learning together as a church through a series called The Bible as One Book. Um, The Bible is really one story, a redemptive story that God's given to us. And helping to learn ourselves through the Bible as one book can be helpful as we understand how the pieces of the Bible fit together. And so on week one, we looked at the pattern of the kingdom, how God created all of creation as the king and the author over all he created. He created all of us in his image, and he created us to rest and to worship him. And then in the second kingdom, the pattern of the kingdom gets followed by the parish kingdom. That was last week. And in the parish kingdom, we learn how everything that God intended for creation was destroyed by sin. As Adam and Eve chose to disobey God in the Garden of Eden, we realized that God said there would now be consequence for sin. The effects of sin would be felt in Adam and Eve in the Garden as they were banished and cast out, but they would also be affected in you and I today. The effects of sin are still here in our world, and we long for the day when God is going to fix it. And so we were left in a very low place last week in Genesis 3. But then we come to Genesis chapter 12. I want to help us just kind of see where we've been going in the series. Hopefully you've kind of seen this image and want to show us the trajectory of our series. Maybe you've seen this on coming into the worship center. It's out on the wall out there. It's meant to be a blessing and encouragement to us as we get familiar with what God's doing in the story of the Bible. Uh, That can be helpful for us in just biblical education as we read through the Bible. It informs us to know what God is doing, what God has done, what he's going to do. And so in the very first kingdom, things start out very well. God says the creation's very good. It's exactly how he had created. And then we come to the kingdom two, and last week we see how everything had been destroyed. The effects of sin had just ravaged all of creation. But today in Genesis chapter 12, we are going to see how everything starts to turn. And we're going to hear about hope today. We're going to see God make promises today to restore all of the effects of sin. He's going to begin to fix the world of what had happened. So be familiar with this. As I was looking with this trajectory this week, again, reminding myself through the book of Genesis what God was doing, I I was asking myself, where have I seen this before? I was reminded that I know where I've seen this before. This same trajectory is also true of this trajectory. (laughs) I knew I'd seen it before. This is the history of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Things begin in 1917, and they go so well, winning Stanley Cups. And in 1967, they win the last one, and then things bottom out. Things were very bad for a long time. And then in 2016, we draft Austin Matthews, and now things have, things have been on the up and up again. But that's not the only place I recognize this trajectory. Maybe you remember as a parent the first time your first child was born, and all of your energy got zapped when your child was born. 
feel like you have no energy left in your life. In addition to energy, you feel like when your first child was born, you lost all your time. So you had all this time up until your child was born, and then you feel like, I have no time for me anymore. My kids need all my time. And you're hoping that one day time comes back to you. And not only energy or time, but also maybe you felt when your child was born, all of my resources are drying up. My kids need everything from me. And so the point of this is be familiar with the trajectory. Let it be a reminder to you as you read the Bible, thinking, okay, I've seen this before. I know what's going on. I know what God's done. I know what's happening right now. I know where it's going because that helps us understand how the pieces of the Bible fit together. So Genesis chapter 3 leaves us in dire straits. It's the lowest of the low. It's the worst of the worst. Creation has bottomed out. And today in our passage, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3, hope is coming, church. But this isn't just a passage that happened long ago. And Abraham is not just a man that God made promises to that it does not affect us. I want us to see the hope in Genesis 12 for us today as well. Every single person here today can look into Genesis chapter 12 and say, why is that significant? Some people feel as though Abraham was just a made-up character. Some people feel like God maybe made these promises. But church, let me tell you this. The significance of Genesis chapter 12 is so important for us that if Abraham wasn't real or if God didn't make these promises to Abraham, then the family line that continues to Jesus wasn't true. And Jesus never came. And then as Paul says in the New Testament, then we are of all people most to be pitied. Because we put everything into this. That Abraham was real and God made these promises and we have seen them fulfilled throughout our life as we look into this. This passage is significant for everyone here today. There's a biblical scholar named John Stott. He said this about the promises that we will read today. It may truly be said without exaggeration that not only the rest of the Old Testament, but the whole of the New Testament are an outworking of these promises of God. See how important Genesis 12 is? Because everything starting in this moment in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, is that wheel beginning to turn. Is God reversing the effects of sin? Everything else in the Bible is how God is going to show how these promises are fulfilled or how the plan is being unfolded. And so if you're here today and you feel hopeless, you feel like, I, I, I feel lonely in life, or maybe you read the Old Testament and feel as though that was just God's people, Israel, or maybe even there's aspects of Christianity that you heard of and thinking, I would love to be a part of a community like that, a people like that, with hope like that, and a future like that. That is all true in Genesis chapter 12. You can be. We can be beneficiaries of that passage. Now, here's been my challenge this week. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Three verses to talk about the entire promised kingdom. Now, Lord willing, next week, Pastor Craig will be here, and he's going to walk us through the partial kingdom. And just by contrast, he gets Genesis 12, verse 4, all the way up until the book of Isaiah. <laughs> That's 21 books, 37 chapters, and 17 verses, and we get three verses here today. It's hard to stay in only these three verses to talk about the promised kingdom. In our home right now, our, our twin girls have just learned to open doorknobs in their home. 
And so often during the day, especially at nap time, you can hear my wife and I calling to them, get back in your room, stay in your room, it's still nap time, don't open the door. I feel like this today in Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 3, I feel like Pastor Craig is in the future looking back at us and he's saying, Vanderloo, don't come out of those three verses. That's mine. It's partial kingdom. Don't touch it. But every child that's supposed to go to sleep is often sneaking out. And so maybe there's going to be times when we can quietly and quickly sneak out of Genesis 12 and then we'll come back in again. But here's why it's okay. Because Genesis 12, 1 to 3 are three awesome verses. And so let's read them together. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, I'm going to call him Abraham today because his name, if you know the story, changes to Abraham. But the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Up until this point in Genesis chapter 12, um, Von Roberts in his book, uh, God's Big Picture, um, helps us realize and understand or maybe remind us, as it did me this week, just the beauty of God's intentionality of a pattern that takes place in every story up until Genesis chapter 12. I want to show you on the screen what that looks like. Roberts talks about the pattern of sin, judgment, and grace in every story. And so in Adam and Eve, as they sin against God by disobeying God's command for them, the judgment was that they were sent out from the garden and the consequences of sin, of shame and hard work and, and sickness and, and death and pain, all the things that we still experience today was their judgment. But there's grace in that story because God clothes them and provides clothing for them. God says, one day someone will come and crush the head of the serpent. All hope is not lost. And in the next story, Cain kills his brother. The sin before God leads to judgment where he's banished from his family. He's sent out. You can't live here with your people anymore anymore. He's a wandering nomad. But God shows him grace in that story because he puts a mark on his head that will um, allow people to maybe to be confused. No, that's not Cain. Or, or it's supposed to be a mark of protection for him over his life. God shows grace. In the story of Noah, the Bible tells us in Genesis that there was such great wickedness on the land against God that it grieved God's heart to want to start over with creation. And so God's judgment on all of the world was to send a flood and wipe it all clean except for the family of Noah. But God shows grace in that story with a rainbow and the promise that I will never do this again. You see the theme? But then we come in Genesis 11 to the Tower of Babel. It says that the sin against God was their pride. It was this desire to make a great name for themselves, that they would be equal to God. And so the judgment that God gives them is language and confusion. And maybe you're wondering, well, how is that a judgment? Well, at that time, what we know is they had one language amongst all the earth. And so now with language and confusion, they couldn't get along with one another. They couldn't speak with one another. Markets and trading, how does this all work with one another? And rather than grace, at the end of the story, we see how all of these people are actually dispersed amongst the entire world at that time. And we're left wondering, why the rupture in the pattern? Sin, judgment, there's always supposed to be grace. And right before our passage, we see how God does not show grace grace. 
And that should lead us to wonder what is going to happen next. Because when we come to Genesis chapter 12, we now have a new generation with a new person where God was going to begin to reverse the effects of sin. And as all the peoples of the earth and nations and language were dispersed across the world, God was going to tell Abraham that I am about to make a way for all of the people one day to be brought back to me. It wouldn't remain like that forever. I am going to set a plan in motion, a rescue plan, where all the peoples of the earth would be welcomed into my presence. That's what we see begin to happen in this part of the story. And so what we're going to see today is how God makes promises to Abraham that take a long time to happen. And people wonder, okay, well, what does that look like? Well, God is going to make three promises in three verses. And so those are our three points. Three verses, three points, and three promises. The first promise we see start to happen is in verse 1. So if you look in verse 1, we're going to see what God is going to tell Abram. This is an incredible call on Abraham's life. But you can see there that God says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. you know, this is an incredible call for Abraham. I want you to leave it all behind. And so the first promise we see in this verse, God promises a land called home. God promises a land called home to Abraham. But notice in this call, in this promise, God says to him, I will. This would be the first of five times in these three verses that God would say, I will, to Abraham. That should lead us to understand as God was saying to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to know that the promises I give you are initiated by me. Unlike Genesis chapter 11, where people thought that they could control the course of history, that they could be like God. I want to remind you, Abraham, I will do this for you. It's my creation. I'm still in charge. I'm in control of everything that takes place. And so God makes a promise and says, I will. I will show you. A stronger word for promise in the Bible is covenant. A covenant was a contractual agreement. It was a binding agreement between God and often his people. It was a covenant that never was supposed to be broken. And unlike us as unfaithful people, we have difficulty keeping covenants in our lives. But when God makes covenants in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, he, he makes covenants with people with the promise that I will never break them. I am a faithful God who never breaks promises. And so here's God in the first promise, the first covenant with Abraham saying, I am going to lead you. But Abraham, I need you to leave everything behind and to trust me and to have faith as I lead you that I am a covenant-keeping God. God makes a covenant with Adam in the garden and Eve that he will one day crush the head of the serpent. God makes covenants with Noah and Abraham and Moses and David and eventually in Jesus. And in every single covenant, God never breaks his promise. So God calls Abraham to leave it all behind. 
He wants him to leave his family and everything that he's comfortable with. But why was God leading him to a land that he would call home? He was settled and secure. He had family and possessions. Why does God need him to leave this in the first problem? Abraham's family had journeyed. I want to show you a little bit about their journeys. In the passage before Genesis 12 and 11 for a few verses, we understand that Abraham and his family began in a city called Ur. It was a very pagan city. It was in the land of the Chaldeans. It was very polytheistic. They believed in many gods. They had temples of worship to the moon god. And we learn in those verses that Terah, Abraham's father, gathered his family, and they began this journey to the, to the land of Canaan at the time. It tells us that they, on their way there, stopped in Haran, and for whatever reason, that's where Abraham's family settled. And it tells us in those verses, that's where his father had passed away. And so God from the land of Haran calls Abraham to gather some of his family and possessions and leave the rest behind and just to begin journeying south to this land. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know why he was going. All he knew is that God told him to go. Because notice in that verse, God does not encourage him to leave his home or suggest to him, you, you can consider whether or not you'd like to do this or maybe to take out a piece of paper and weigh the pros and cons of leaving everything and just following blindly. God gives Abraham an imperative command, go. Go to the land that I will show you. This is an incredibly difficult call for Abraham. Leave everything behind. You know, I wonder for how many of us here today as well, if God were to call us to leave everything we had and to follow obediently in faith to him, could we do this? Because like Abraham's culture, so much of their lives was tied into security and into settlement. So much of their culture was tied into dynastic families Maybe you've been on a home tour before. Nobody walks into a home tour and wants to hear from the guide, you know, this home was just built, this family's going to flip it shortly, they're going to move on to the next one. That's uninteresting. We want to go into a home and hear about how this family's been around for hundreds of years and, and here's what they've done and here's who they've been and here's where maybe they've come from. We want to hear the story. The same is true for Abraham's generation. And it's true for us too. We invest in security. We plan for security. We long for security. And yet God calls Abraham to leave it all behind. Could we do that? You know, the amazing thing is that there's some, some of us here in our church that have done that. God has called you across province or country or even the nations to be faithful to a call in you or your family's life to follow his plan and to be obedient to the faith that you have in that God, that he will lead you where you are supposed to go. If you have done that, be encouraged that in verse 4, after hearing this command from God, Abraham does the same thing. In faith, he goes. He goes to the land of Canaan. Again, he didn't know where he was going, but it tells us in verse 6, if you want to see it there, that Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the Oak of Moreh. Now, I want you to hear this. The Oak of Moreh, this was a place in the land of Canaan where the Canaanites, again, believing in many false gods, would come to these trees, these Oaks of Moreh, and they would sit and they would wait to listen from a word from their false gods through the rustling leaves of these trees. 
It was a practice that they did at the Oaks of Moray. And here it says, Abraham shows up at the Oaks of Moray with his family. He's the new kid on the block. He comes to this area. And then God speaks to him and begins to remind him of promise. And it's as if in this part of the story, God, a living God, is giving a living word to Abram, saying, Abraham, I want you to hear this. Look around you. All of this land is going to be yours one day. Wow. So that's where you've been leaving me. That's where you've been leading me to the place of, of Canaan. God, God, how could this be that all of this will one day be mine? Maybe Abraham walks up and he stands with Sarah looking out over the horizon and he wonders, wow, this is a lot of land. What are we going to do with all this? Maybe him and Sarah began to plan together the type of riding lawnmower that they're going to need for all of this land. Maybe they're deciding we'll put the vegetable garden there. We can put the pool there. Maybe they're calling the real estate agent because they want to subdivide all of this land. It's too much for them. Maybe we can parcel it out into 12 kingdoms. God, what are we going to do with all of this land? I didn't know where we were going, but now I know. You've led us here to the land of Canaan. God, what's it all for? We have to see what God does in the second promise in verse 2 because Abraham didn't know all of the details of the future in this moment. And yet, even though he didn't know the details of the future, he trusted God and had faith in the present. How many of us is that a word for today? You don't know what the future holds. You don't know all the details. You don't know what God's doing. You feel like God's not really answering according to what your plans were. And yet, even though he didn't know the details of the future, he trusts God in the present. So look at the second promise that we see, because this call in his life is familiar to us. He says, that I'm going to make you a great nation, Abram. That's why I've been leading you here. I've been leading you here because this is going to be home for you and for your family. That's why I needed you to leave everything that you knew, because I needed you to be in this place. I'm calling you to, to leave it all behind, to trust me most, to love me most. This call in Abraham's life is exactly the same call that Jesus puts on every follower of Christ in the New Testament. In Matthew 10, Jesus said, whoever is not able to leave family and friend and, and job and people in order to love me most is not worthy of me. Abraham, trust me. Trust me that this will be your future home. And so the second promise we get in verse 2, God promises a home for his people. Look at verse 2. Abraham, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Maybe Abraham heard this and thought, God, who are my people? Do you not know that it's just me and Sarah here right now? This, this is going to be all our land, but who's my people? What are you talking about, God, that this will be a home for your people? What is that supposed to mean? Now, if you don't tell Pastor Craig, Genesis chapter 15 tells us how this would happen. Genesis chapter 15, God appears in a vision to Abraham and says, Abraham, this is what I mean. You and Sarah are going to have a son. You are going to have a son. This was challenging for Abraham at the time. 
Because him and Sarah had no children. The Bible tells us that Sarah was barren. And here God promises to Abraham that you will be a great nation and this land will belong to your people. God, how is this going to be possible? How will you do this? But remember, God is a promise-keeping God. He never breaks his covenant. And so in Genesis 15 is the familiar passage where God tells Abraham to go out, maybe from his tent, and look up. Abraham, look at the stars in the sky. So numerous will be the nation of Abraham that you will be having as many descendants as the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on the seashore. Wow. God, how are you going to do that? 75 years old, no children, left the family behind, no security, wandering in a foreign land. God, that's impossible. I wonder how hard it was for Abraham to hear that promise and to trust and have faith. I wonder how hard it was for Abraham to believe in that promise. It would be another 25 years before God would fulfill this promise to begin to unfold how the people would begin and grow and how the nation would start. And so Abraham's left wondering, God, how can this be? But God always acts on his promises. Maybe in your own life there's been a promise of God that you've read in the Bible or something that you've heard before and you're wondering, God, how can that be? How can you keep that promise, God? How is it even possible for you to keep all of those promises? God, how is it possible that all of the promises that you make are yes and amen? And yet Abraham trusts And he has faith. Because church, hear this. You can fact check every single promise that God makes in the Bible and they are all true. Every single one of them. You can look up any promise God has made from all of redemptive history. Everything we have in the Bible, you can look up every single promise. God always keeps his promises because he's faithful. And maybe you'll find a promise and say, well, God has not kept that promise yet, and it's always because he hasn't fulfilled it yet. God keeps every single promise. Abraham, if I promise that you and Sarah will have a child, you will have a child. If I promise to make you a great nation in this land, you will be a great nation in this land. And it tells us that after hearing this in Genesis 15, verse 6, that Abraham believed the Lord He believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. You know, so so significant was this response to God in faith that Paul wrote later in the book of Romans about this response. I want to show you a few of these verses. In Romans 4, Paul said this, When Abraham heard this, he did not weaken in the faith when when he considered his own body. Look at this. Which was as good as dead. 75 to 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. God, it seems impossible. But it said, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God. Look at that. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave God glory. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. God, if you promise this, I believe. 
If you say this is going to happen, God, I trust and have faith and I give you glory because I am growing in my faith that if God makes promises, he always keeps them. But I want you to know this. Even as we're introduced to the life of Abraham here and for the next 13 chapters in Genesis, God wasn't taking the perfect example of faith in creation because Abraham was not perfect. In fact, in the chapters after 12, we start to see how God begins to unfold these promises, and we see how there's a number of times Abraham lacks judgment. He makes poor decisions. He shows glimpses of failing to trust God. But deep down inside, it says in Hebrews chapter 11 that Abraham did have unwavering faith in God. He trusted in God and his promises. He trusted that God would act and that the promises were yet to come would be fulfilled. So he had faith in God that God would do this. And and today, in this moment right now, the presence of faith in your life and in mine is also what allows us to become part of the people of God. It's what marked Abraham's life of faith. And it can also be the mark of faith in our life that allows us to be part of some of these promises. And, And here's how that works. Abraham eventually saw how God kept his promise because him and Sarah had a birth of a boy named Isaac. And Isaac grew up and he had a son named Jacob. And Jacob grew up and he had 12 sons, which would eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel in the land of Canaan. It was later called the promised land. And God began to unfold history, showing how this family was growing and growing, becoming a great nation We come through all the Bible into the New Testament, we see how God was continuing to grow and shape his people. And so sometimes we look into this and we say, what was so special about Abraham? Why did God choose him to be the guy? The answer to that is simple, nothing. Nothing was so special. Nothing was so special about Abraham. Nothing is so special about us. Maybe sometimes we look at the story and think, okay, as God was beginning to grow the family of Abraham and Sarah to Isaac and Jacob and Israel, what was so special about God's people Israel? If there's anything we learn in the Old Testament, it's that there was nothing special about Israel. They were the perfect example of what not to do. They were the perfect example of who you and I are. And so we see in the Old Testament the cycle of obedience, disobedience, obedience, disobedience. It's meant to remind us that that's the people that we are. Nothing special. But God takes people who have nothing in themselves. And he says, I want to do something in you, Abraham. I want to do something in your family. I want to do something in you today. I want you to know that there is something that I offer you to become part of the people of God. It was something that Abraham trusted in and for the future because he could only see the present. Abraham was called as imperfect and unfaithful to trust a perfect and faithful God. And that's the same calling for you and I today in this story as well. As the promises begin to be unfolded. But I want to tell you what was special about Abraham And what is special about Israel? That was the family that God chose to bring about the Savior of the world. Genealogies in Matthew and Luke, they show us how God kept that promise. Generation after generation after generation from Abraham to David, finally to Jesus. Jesus. 
That's incredibly special that God used Abraham and Israel to be the torchbearer for salvation. To be the ones that got to carry the flag of salvation so that all the world might be blessed and welcomed as the people of God. But there was people throughout generations that wondered, how does this work? God made promises to Abraham, and they're supposed to show how they're his people by keeping the law. And so how do we get to be a part of that? Is that just an Israel thing, or, or, or how does that work for us today? There was questions about that, and the Apostle Paul wrote an entire book of Galatians as a letter to answer this question. Yes, God's people Israel were called to keep the law. It's how they were marked from the nations around them. But when Jesus came, everything changed. People of God are no longer marked by obedience to the law. They're marked by faith in Jesus. In fact, this is what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3 in a few verses. 13 and 14, he said this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. Look at this. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. For most of us here today that are not Jews, that is the gospel. That is the good news of what Jesus has done. Because of Jesus, people might come to faith in Jesus so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Paul says, because of Jesus, you can have faith in that God and be welcomed now in to the people of God. He says a few verses later in Galatians chapter 3, so therefore, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's equality under God as his people to say, because of Christ's Brother, sister, family of God, and if you are in Christ, then you are in Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Paul is saying that because of Jesus, we can rejoice and share in the promises that Abraham heard in Genesis chapter 12. That's why this passage today is significant for us, because this is where it begins. This is where God begins to reverse what had happened in the perished kingdom. God made a way for all of us to be recipients of the promise. And so we look to that as Paul wrote and we say, thank you, God, that you gave Jesus, Jesus Christ, the son. It wasn't so Abraham would have this beautiful family reunion every day and say, wow, look how large my family is. The Bible shows us now as we look back, we say, oh, God used that family to one day bring about Jesus. And Jesus made a way for everyone now to be welcomed from every tribe and nation and language. Here right now and in Kenya, we are all welcomed into the people of God because of Jesus Christ. Now, I feel after this promise that we could end right here. That's incredibly good news, but this is only the second promise. And I think the third one is maybe even better yet. So let's look at verse 3. God promises a land called home, a home for his people. And now in verse 3, we see God promises a people of great blessing. God promises a people of great blessing. Look at verse 3. Abraham hears from God, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Most of this promise was true for Abraham at that time. 
Abraham heard a promise from God. He said, all the nations around you, if they look favorably towards you, Abraham, and your family, I'm going to bless them. If, if there are nations around you that persecute you or oppress you or go to war with you, Abraham, I want you to know that I will bless good and curse the evil. And maybe we wonder, well, why would God do that? Why, why, why would he interact with God's people, Israel, and the nations around him like that? This promise shows us to what extent God would go to protect his people. I am preserving a family where I will do everything I can to protect them because one day from this family comes Jesus and nothing will stop or thwart the plan of God. No nation around you, Abraham, will be able to stop that. I will bless them or I will curse them because you are my people. You are my chosen family that I will bless the whole world. So then we see in the New Testament how these promises come true because Jesus came. And then Jesus establishes his church, the body, the family of Christ through his apostles. You know, sometimes I look around in our world, or maybe you've, you've had this before too, where you read what's going on in the news. Sometimes I wonder, do people even know whose church this is? You hear about growing persecution in the world, and maybe you think... Do these people not know that God, Jesus, promised to the, the apostles that I will build my church and even the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Do they not know that the church belongs to God, that it's his, his people, his family, his bride? And so the world thinks they're winning the war. They think that they're, they're doing good things because they want to oppress the church. But in fact, instead of winning the war, they're poking the bear because the church belongs to God. And here, Abraham hears the promise, all the nations and families of the world will be blessed through you. Because one day comes Jesus, and he will found the church. And people of all nations will be blessed because they will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That a perfect God came down and was born as a baby, lived a perfect life, gave his life in death for the sins of the world, and then came back to life again, conquering sin and death. People that heard that message would become welcomed into the family of God through you, Abraham. This is how God was going to use Abraham's family to bless the world. This is how we can be recipients of the promise too. You know, the strange thing about all three of these promises today in our passage is that Abraham didn't even get to see them come fulfilled. God makes him these incredibly beautiful promises. And Abraham acts in faith, as it tells us in Hebrews. He looks forward to the day when all of them would be fulfilled. But he would wander as a nomad. He would never get to inherit the land. He only saw the birth of Isaac. He wouldn't see all the future generations. And he wouldn't even see how all of the nations would be blessed through his family. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't keep promises when we can't see the future. And so I want to show you the promise of the future. God promises today in our passage, people, land, and blessing. God kept that promise. God kept that promise of the land. God kept the promise of blessing. That all the world would be blessed. And Abraham didn't see that promise. He didn't get to see the promise of the land. He didn't get to see the promise of blessing. But he acted in faith. Sometimes we wonder, like Hebrews 11 says, Abraham looked forward even though he didn't know what was going to happen, but he trusted and had faith in God. 
And here we hold the Bible in our hands, the story as we know it today. And we get to look back and say, yes, the present reality for us is that we can be welcomed as the people of God. Abraham, Jesus did come. He did die. He did make a way. This is true. It's a present reality. Everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ today, as Paul said, gets welcomed into the people of God through faith in him. And the other thing that's true is that we can have a future hope and promise of the land. Maybe you feel it in your body today, like, I I just need to long for something else. Maybe you feel it in your health or in your family or relationships. God, there's got to be more to come. And God tells us, yes, actually that's true. The world is not your home. Paul wrote in Philippians and said, you are citizens of heaven. If you are part of the people of God, your future is a land that I am making new again. I am restoring all creation where one day you will enjoy a place where there will be no effects of sin. That is our future. And the promise of blessing is a present and future promise for us because today if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, the Bible tells us that the present blessing that we have is we can be saved of sin. We are forgiven. We are redeemed. We are adopted. We've been chosen. We are being made more into the image of Jesus. We look forward to the day, the future blessing to one day be with him. And so we say, God, wow, I am so blessed in this life to have a hope and a future that you took me from nothing and gave me something, the grace of Jesus Christ through faith. God, I can't wait for the best blessing of all to one day enjoy your presence for forevermore. It's a present and a future and a present and future promise that we have in this passage today. And it all came through Jesus. We can be welcomed as part of the people of God. We rejoice in the blessings that God gives. But we still long for that day. We say, God, I can't wait for you to finally fulfill every single promise that you have made. You're continuing to show us how you are faithful. But in the meantime, God, I long for that day. Or maybe you're here today and I want to encourage you. I want you to make sure that you do everything that you can to ensure that you are a part of the people of God. Look to Christ and consider how he keeps his promises. That he gave his life for you that you might be saved of your sin. That you be welcomed in. God, have you really done that for me? And so until that day comes, we long for the moment when Jesus Christ returns in all glory and he gathers his people together as his family and says the time has come for us to enjoy a beautiful new heavens and new earth when the perished kingdom is done with once and for all and the perfected kingdom has come.